Chapter 25 of Marjorie Dean, High School Sophomore by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 25 An Unhappy Princess. It took Professor Harmon several minutes to reduce the noisy enthusiasts to the decorous state of order in which they had entered the gymnasium. Far from being elated over her triumph, Constance Stevens received the ovation with the shyness of a child brought before an audience against its will to speak its first piece. She heaved an audible sigh of relief when at last she was left to herself and retired behind Marjorie and her friends with a flushed, embarrassed face. The boys' tryout was shortened considerably by the fact that there were fewer singers to be heard. When it was over, it was announced that Hal Macy had carried off the role of the poor, neglected son, which was in reality the male lead. The crane was selected for the king, while freckle-faced Daniel Seabrook was chosen for the jester, greatly to his delight and surprise. There was an emphatic round of applause when Professor Harmon announced that Constance Stevens had been selected to sing the princess. Ellen Seymour captured the role of the queen, and to Mignon LaSalle was allotted the part of the disagreeable stepsister. It was second in importance to that of the princess, but the French girl's face was a study as she received the announcement. She tried to smile, but the baffled anger and keen disappointment which was hers blazed forth from her elfish eyes. The minor parts were soon given out, and then came the trial of the chorus. The hope of Marjorie and her four friends that they might be chosen was fulfilled. A number of the girls who had sung solos were also selected, and, with one or two disgruntled exceptions, resigned themselves to the lesser glory gratefully accepting what was offered them. It was evident, however, that pretty faces had much to do with the professor's choice of the chorus, and when he had gathered the elect together and heard them sing the star-spangled banner as a test, he expressed himself as satisfied and appointed a rehearsal for the following Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock. With the exception of Constance, it was a most jubilant sextet that sought out for sergeants at Marjorie's invitation after the tryout was over. She was still somewhat dazed over her success. Although she smiled as the five girls paid her affectionate tribute, she had little to say. Girls, did you see Mignon's face when Connie was singing? began Muriel Harding as soon as they were out of earshot of any possible participants in the tryout. Did we see it? Well, I guess so. Jerry made prompt answer. At least I did. While Connie was singing, I was dividing my seeing power between her and the fair but frowning Mignon. Maybe she wasn't mad. She tried to pretend she wasn't listening, but she never missed a note. She had sense enough to know good singing when she heard it. I was watching her too, nodded Muriel Harding. Her eyes positively glittered when Professor Harmon almost missed hearing Connie sing. I knew she was hoping he would. 
Then Laurie Armitage came to the rescue. I was going to say something, was Marjorie's quiet comment. I had made up my mind that Connie shouldn't be overlooked. I was so glad when Laurie spoke to the professor. I thought you were, declared Jerry. I was going to say something if no one else did. I don't believe any one of us could have stood there and seen Connie miss her turn without making a fuss, said gentle Irma Linton. I'm so glad it all came out nicely. Laurie Armitage is a splendid boy. So is the crane, put in Jerry slyly. Of course he is, agreed Irma, placidly ignoring Jerry's attempt to tease. So is your brother, Hal. There are lots of nice boys in Western High. Jerry merely grinned cheerfully at this retort and returned to the subject of the coming opera. Is Laurie going to help you with your songs? she asked, addressing Constance. Yes, replied Constance simply. He said he would. I can't quite believe yet that I am going to sing the princess. I may be able to manage the songs, but I can't act. I imagine Mignon would make a better actress than I. She ought to, jeered Muriel Harding, who could never resist a thrust at the French girl. She never does anything else. I don't believe she'd know her real self if she came face to face with it in broad daylight. Oh, forget Mignon. Who was that tall, dark man with Laurie and Professor Harmon? interposed Susan Atwell. You ought to know, Connie. I saw Laurie introduce you to him. His name is Atwell, answered Constance. He is an actor, I believe. I don't know why he happened to be at the tryout today. Perhaps Professor Harmon invited him. I'll find out all about him and tell you, volunteered Jerry. Hal may know. If he doesn't, someone else will. For further information, ask Brother Hal, giggled Susan. It was not until Marjorie and Constance had said goodbye to the others and were strolling home in the spring sunshine that the latter asked, Where was Mary today? I don't know. Marjorie spoke soberly. She left the house before I did this morning. She said last night that she wasn't interested in the tryout. I thought perhaps she might like to be in the chorus, but she doesn't appear to care about it. She has a sweet soprano voice and can sing well. I'm sorry, was Constance's brief answer. So am I. Marjorie did not continue the painful subject. They had talked it over so many times there was nothing left to be said. I'm glad you were chosen for the princess, she said after a little silence, during which the two girls were busy with their own thoughts. I'm going to try to sing well, if only to please you and Laurie, was Constance's earnest avowal. I'm glad Mignon didn't get the part. It won't be very pleasant for you to have to sing with her. I wouldn't say this to anyone else, but if I were you, I would keep a watchful eye on her, Connie. If she tries to be disagreeable, I shall simply pay no attention to her. That will be best, nodded Marjorie. Nevertheless, she reflected that as a member of the chorus, she would have opportunity to observe the French girl and mentally decided to keep an eye on her. 
"'Has Mary come in, Delia?' was Marjorie's quick question as the maid answered her ring. "'Here I am,' called Mary from the living room. She had heard Marjorie's question. Now she appeared in the doorway of the living room, viewing her former chum with sombre gravity. "'Who is going to sing the princess?' she asked abruptly. Connie was chosen. She sang beautifully. "'I'm glad Mignon didn't get the part,' muttered Mary. Wheeling about, she walked into the living room, and taking up a book she had turned face downward on the table, became, to all appearances, absorbed in its pages. For a moment Marjorie stood watching her through the half-drawn portieres. She would have liked to continue the conversation, but pride forbade her to do so. Mary's mood presaged rebuff. Later at luncheon she unbent sufficiently to question Marjorie further regarding the tryout. Although she did not say so, she was sorry that Mignon had been given a principal's part in the operetta. Privately she wished she had made an attempt to get into the chorus. She, too, was of the opinion that the French girl would bear watching. Failure to carry off the highest honours would act as a spur to Mignon's unscrupulous nature, and sooner or later someone would pay for her defeat. Mary was quite correct in her conjecture that Mignon would not allow matters to rest as they were. From the moment that Constance had been announced as the princess, she had made a vow that by either fair or unfair means she would supplant that white-faced cat of a Stevens girl, who had been awarded the honour that should have been hers. The first step consisted in holding a private session with Professor Harmon after the others had gone to ascertain if by any chance he might be relied upon to help her. She found him engaged in conversation with the dark young man. He eyed her with interest, bowed affably when presented to her by the professor, and expressed somewhat profuse pleasure at meeting her. In the presence of a stranger, Mignon dared not ask Professor Harmon openly to reconsider his recent decision in her favour. Three minutes' conversation with him showed her that, had she made the request, it would have availed her nothing. The brisk little man's mind was made up. He congratulated her on capturing second honours with a finality that could not be assailed. Then a brilliant idea entered her wily brain. "'Professor Harmon,' she began with a pretty show of girlish confusion, quite foreign to her usual bold method of reaching out for whatever she coveted. "'I would like to ask you if I might understudy the princess.' Of course, I know that I can't sing as Miss Stevens sings, and I wouldn't for the world wish anything to happen to prevent her from singing on the great night, but I am so fond of music that it would be a pleasure to understudy the role. I shouldn't like anyone to know that I was doing it, though. It is just a fancy on my part. Certainly you may, Miss LaSalle, was the professor's hearty response. Your idea is excellent. It is a mistake even in an amateur production not to provide an understudy for an important role, such as Miss Stevens will sing. I must provide an understudy for Mr Macy and others of the cast also. But you are too modest in your request that no one else must know. 
I am sure Mr. Armitage will be pleased with your suggestion. Oh, please don't tell him, exclaimed Mignon. A shade of alarm crossed her dark face, which was not lost on the professor's companion, Ronald Atwell. A mere acquaintance of Professor Harmon's, he had lately arrived in Sanford at the close of a season as leading man in a popular musical comedy to visit a cousin. Brought up in that hard school of experience, the stage, he was an adept at reading signs, and he was by no means deceived as to the true character of the girl who stood before him. Far from being displeased with his deductions, he became mildly interested in her and mentally characterised her as being worth cultivating. He had watched her during the tryout, and he had glimpsed her true self in the varying expressions that animated her dark face. He had attended the tryout on the polite invitation of Professor Harmon, and at the latter's earnest solicitation had agreed to take charge of the stage direction of the operetta. The professor had congratulated himself on obtaining such valuable assistance, while the actor looked upon the affair as a pastime which would serve to lighten his stay with his rather dull cousin. He had come to Sanford for a period of relaxation before going to New York to begin rehearsals with a summer show, and the prospect of directing the operetta promised to be amusing. "'Very well. I will say nothing.' promised the professor amiably. He had come to the tryout, hoping to see the daughter of his friend capture the role of the princess, but the enthusiasm of the artist had driven that hope from his mind when he had heard Constance sing. Now he dwelt only on the success of the operetta, and was distinctly relieved to find that Mignon was in an amiable frame of mind over the unexpected change in his plans. Knowing her tempestuous disposition, he decided that it would be policy to humour her whim. "'Thank you so much,' beamed Mignon. "'I must go now. Good-bye.' "'I find I must leave you also,' said Ronald Atwell, glancing at his watch, "'or I shall be late for luncheon.' Mignon had already walked toward the east door of the gymnasium. With a hurried, "'Good-bye, Professor.' I will be here for rehearsal on Tuesday. The dark young man strode after Mignon and overtook her in the corridor. I wonder if our ways lie in the same direction, he said pleasantly. I am the guest of Mr. and Mrs. Horton. Mr. Horton is a cousin of mine. I passed their house on my way home, was the prompt reply. Elated at receiving the marked attention of this distinguished stranger, Mignon exerted herself to the utmost to be agreeable during their walk. From the few words she had heard pass between the professor and Mr. Atwell as she approached them, she had gathered the information that the latter was to manage the stage and coach the actors in the operetta. She determined that, if it were possible, she would enlist his services in her behalf. She had counted on Professor Harmon, and he had failed her. In this good-looking, affable young man, she foresaw a valuable ally. The presentation of the rebellious princess was still four weeks distant. A great many things might happen in that time. Her companion's suave comment, 
I think Professor Harmon made a mistake in assigning the princess to the young woman who sang last. Uttered with just the exact shade of regret caused Mignon to thrill with new hope. Mr. Atwell, at least, was of the same mind as herself. She brightened visibly when he went on to say that as stage manager he would try to give her every advantage that lay in his power. I am certain that you have within you the possibilities which go to make a great actress, Miss LaSalle, was his parting remark to her, and these flattering words, which were in reality merely idle on the part of the actor, she accepted as gospel truth. It was very easy for her to accept that which she wished to believe, for self-analysis was not one of her strong points. When the cast and chorus for the operetta met in the gymnasium the following Tuesday afternoon, it did not take the lynx-eyed feminine contingent long to discover that Mignon LaSalle had a friend at court. Laurie Armitage also soon became aware of the fact. He was secretly displeased that Mignon had been chosen to sing in his operetta, and almost on first acquaintance he had formed a dislike for Ronald Atwell. Behind his polished manners he read in sincerity, and he was sorry that Professor Harmon had asked this newcomer to assist in managing the production. But, manlike, he kept his prejudice to himself, admitting reluctantly that Atwell seemed to know what he was about. In the frequent rehearsals that followed, however, many irritating incidents occurred to try his boyish soul. Most of all he disapproved of the actor-manager's brusque manner toward Constance Stevens. He found fault continually with her in the matter of the speaking of her lines and developed a habit of rehearsing her over and over again in a single scene until she was ready to cry of sheer humiliation at her own failure to please him. More than once Laurie made private protest to Professor Harmon, but the latter invariably reminded him that despite Miss Stevens' beautiful voice, she was far from grasping the principles of acting, and that Mr. Atwell was a striking example of a conscientious director. Lawrence Armitage was not the only one whose resentment against the too conscientious stage manager had been aroused. His unfair attitude toward Constance was the subject of many indignant discussions on the part of the girls who comprised her coterie of intimate friends. "'It's a shame,' burst forth Jerry Macy in an undertone to Marjorie as they stood together at one side of the gymnasium and watched the impatient manner in which the actor ordered their idol about. "'I wouldn't stand it if I were Connie.' I guess you know who is to blame for it, don't you? Marjorie nodded. A faint touch of scorn curved her red lips. Mignon's growing friendship with Ronald Atwell was the talk of the cast. He frequently accompanied her home from school, invited her to sergeants, and it was rumoured that he was often a guest at dinner or luncheon at her home. Proud of the fact that his daughter was to sing an important role in young Armitage's opera, Mr. LaSalle had treated his daughter's new acquaintance with considerable deference and allowed Mignon to do as she pleased in the matter of entertaining him. Laurie told Hal that he was sorry Professor Harmon had asked that old crank to help. 
Lorry didn't say old crank, but I say it, and I mean it, continued Jerry vindictively. Don't breathe it to anyone, though. It was a brotherly confidence, and Hal would rave if he knew I repeated it. Jerry, whispered Marjorie. Her brief scorn had faded into a faint frown of anxiety. I don't think Mr. Atwell is really the best sort of person for Mignon to go around with. He is ever so much older than she, and, somehow, he doesn't seem sincere. Someone told Muriel that he told Mignon she would make a wonderful actress. Mignon was boasting of it. Suppose she were to get an idea of going on the stage. She is so headstrong she might run away from home and do that very thing if she happened to feel like it. I don't like her, but I can't help being just a little bit sorry for her. You know, she hasn't any mother to help her, and love her and advise her. Her father is so busy making money, he doesn't pay much attention to her. Fathers are splendid, but mothers are simply splendiferous. I don't know what I'd do without my captain. Marjorie sighed in sweet sympathy for all the motherless girls in the universe. Mothers are a grand institution, agreed Jerry, looking a trifle solemn. I think mine is just about right. I never thought of Mignon in that way before. Now I suppose I'll have to be sorry for her too. She doesn't look as though she needed much sympathy just now. She's so pleased with the way Connie is being ordered about that she can't see straight. There, he's through with the poor child at last. Come on. It's time for the chorus to perform. Try to imagine that this good old Jim is the king's palace and that our mutual friend the crane is a kingly king. He looks more like a clothespole. Marjorie was forced to laugh at Jerry's uncomplimentary comparison. They had no further opportunity for conversation in the busy hour that followed. Professor Harmon drilled them rigidly, his short hair positively standing erect with energy and they were quite ready to gather their little band together and hurry off to sergeants for rest and ice-cream when the rehearsal was at last over. "'See here, Connie, why don't you tell that Atwell man to mind his own business?' sputtered Jerry as the six girls walked down the street in the direction of their favourite haunt. "'He is minding his business,' returned Constance ruefully. Her small face was very pale, and her blue eyes were strained and unhappy. It is my fault, but he makes me nervous, and then I can't act. When I am at home I can say my lines just as I ought, but the minute he begins to tell me what to do, everything goes wrong. Then he finds fault and almost makes me cry. I wish I hadn't tried for the part. If it weren't so late I'd resign from the cast.' "'And let Mignon sing the princess?' came from Muriel in deep disgust. "'Don't you do it,' advised Susan. "'That's precisely what she'd like you to do.' "'It's a plot between Mignon and Mr. Snapwell—I mean Atwell,' declared Jerry. "'She's crazy to be the princess, and he is trying to help her along. "'A blind man could see that.' "'I think so, too.' said Irma Linton slowly. You must try not to mind him, Connie. Then you won't be so nervous. Why don't you ask Laurie to interfere? proposed Jerry. 
He looked crosser than I when I'm mad when that Atwell man was worrying you about your lines this afternoon. I'll ask him myself if you say so. No. Constance shook her head. I wouldn't for the world complain to Laurie. He has enough to think of now, without bothering his head over my troubles. I suppose that I'm too easily hurt. I must learn not to mind such things if I ever expect to become a real artist. That's the way you ought to feel, Connie, put in Marjorie's soft voice. She had been thinking seriously while the others talked as to what she might say to cheer up her disconsolate schoolmate. You were chosen to sing the part of the princess, and I am sure no one else can sing it half so well. Try to think that all the time you are rehearsing. Remember, Laurie believes in you, and so do we. When the great night comes, you won't have to listen to that horrid Mr. Atwell's nagging or say your lines over and over again. You will truly be the princess, and that will make you forget everything else. If you believe in yourself, nothing can make you fail. For your own sake, don't think for a minute of giving up the part. End of chapter 25 Recording by Ashley Jane